In the name of Jesus, amen. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And now I pronounce you husband and wife. (laughs) You get the joke, perhaps. Maybe not, but I'm sure you understand because those verses, those words from St. Paul, along with the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, those are the go-to scripture for a lot of weddings these days. I've been to plenty of them, officiated at a number of them in churches, at vineyards, under the gazebo set up in the backyard of the bride's parents' home. Love is patient. Love is kind. And you can see why. The lyrical prose and short, punchy phrases, love is patient, love is kind, love does not. Along with all the love, 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 makes it the the perfect, a wonderful text for the joining together of husband and wife in holy matrimony. Still, I I bet it comes as no surprise to you to find out that St. Paul and the Holy Spirit didn't really have weddings in mind when they wrote them. At least I don't think they did. No, no, I bet if Paul had a picture or story in mind, apart from the stories of his interactions with the people of Corinth that we'll get to, I wonder if he might have been thinking of biblical Joseph. You know, the one of coat of many colors faith. Uh, Now, a lot of times he's read as a pretty good guy who had some tough things happen to him. But before that, it's the story of a very unlikable, obnoxious, well, You pick the word. (laughs) He gets the fancy coat from Dad and then feels the necessity to interrupt everyone's breakfast to ask the brothers who didn't get a coat how good he looks in it. How's this, man? Then he has this dream wherein those same brothers all bow down before him. And though God doesn't tell him to tell anybody, he thinks it's a grand idea to let those brothers know all about it, even though it'll bug the heck out of them. Guys! Y'all are going to worship this cool, cat, this cool coat cat someday. So what's Joseph do when he has a similar dream? Tells him again. The brothers finally toss him into a pit. You're thinking it's about time. <laughs> a devotional I sometimes read says, Joseph is a goody two-shoes who announces his ATC score, ACT score without a hint of actual curiosity on the part of his audience. <laughs> You get the type. Maybe you know the type. Maybe you are the type. We all are in one way or another. You have something or you know something or you're right about something and it's really hard to have it or know it or be right about it and not have it or know it or be right about it in a way that doesn't make you into an obnoxious, well... Pick your not fit for a sermon word. St. Paul knew the type. At one time, he likely was the type. Top of his class in Pharisee school, super zealous to let everyone know it. Good chance Paul had been the type until Jesus gave him that smack down in the Damascus Road. Paul definitely knew the type, and he saw the type in spades in Corinth. The church in Corinth are doing a Bible study on Wednesdays, come at 10.30. It was full of impressive people ready to tell you how impressive they were. 
Smart people who wore their ACT scores on their sleeves. People with skills of oratory, even divine gifts of spiritual tongues and prophecies. The sorts of gifts and insight that had been given to someone like Joseph. And people who, like Joseph, were unable to have those things or be those things without them turning them into obnoxious fill-in-the-blank. You know the type. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, uh, there's more to it for our purposes, but I wonder if you might simply say, if you're someone who knows stuff, who's right about things, if I have knowledge and insight that other people don't, even if it's their own dumb fault, but have not love, I am nothing. Worse than nothing, actually. A noisy gong and clanging cymbal like your kid with the new drum set grandma gave her. Annoying and drowning out anything else possibly worth hearing. I think what Paul is saying here, he's dealing with people who are experts at being right in the wrong way. Are you right about some things? Do you perhaps have some knowledge? Do you have some insight into how things are? Maybe insight about what's wrong with the world and how to fix it. Or at least what's wrong with some people who occupy your particular part of the world and how you might fix them. Now, now for the sake of this sermon, let's do something. Let's assume... Let's assume something that is very likely not the case. We're going to assume that we actually are right about all those things we think we are right about. Even though I know that's a literal impossibility this morning because there are people here who are certain they are right about things that are mutually exclusive. I get that. So we can't all be right. It's not possible. But Paul is not dealing with that here in in 1 Corinthians. So we're going to assume... We're all right. Paul, he's dealing with people who actually do have knowledge, who have real wisdom, who have true insight, but who have it in a way, display it in a way that makes that insight, wisdom, and knowledge worse than useless. (laughs) Actually have it in a way that makes any wisdom, insight, and knowledge impossible to hear. I I could multiply examples of this from our lives, which would be easy to do these days. But instead, I just gave us the type of Joseph. We all know the type and are too often. The kind of person who comes at you with such condescending arrogance and insisting you know how impressive they are that you say, I would rather remain ignorant and stupid than learn a darn thing from you. The opposite of that way, of knowing in that way, the opposite of that look at me and my coat arrogance that tears families, churches, communities, and countries apart, the more excellent way, Paul calls love. And because love, 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 
Because love is one of those slippery words. One of those words that we all kind of like to fill up with our own content. You can very easily imagine Joseph, for example, saying something like, well, it wouldn't be very loving for me to just let my stupid brothers remain stupid now, would it? Because love, because self-giving love is a slippery word, Paul does something here in 1 Corinthians 13. He gives us a little checklist. Almost like a test that you might run through if you're trying to figure out if the way you are having your knowledge, your insight, your wisdom, whatever, is actually in the more excellent way of love. First thing he says is love is patient. First thing. It's got to be important. Patient. Well, he's pops in my mind with patience six or seven years ago. Probably that, maybe more. My son Phoenix was... Uh, playing, I use that term loosely because it was mostly uh, I'm going nuts and destroying something in the playroom. Don't remember exactly what it was. Um, but I do remember he had been studying maybe in Sunday school or school the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness, and faithfulness. And so I come over instead of just yelling at him, I say, Phoenix, gentleness, bud. Fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. Kind of patted myself in the back for some good parenting there, some real-life Bible application that worked for about 30 seconds. <laughs> Came back just as nuts, destroyed. At this point, no more good parents said, Phoenix, stop it! Did you hear me? At which point, without even looking up from his destruction, he gives me the hand and says, Patience! <laughs> hey, see, I had been out-fruited the spirited. <laughs> It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, too. Patience, Dad. I'm only six. It's going to take me some time to learn things like self-control and gentleness. Love doesn't demand. Doesn't demand that those who differ from you come to see things the way you see them right now. Love understands maybe that you've had experiences, gifts, really, that they haven't had. Maybe you had a family or parents or a church or pastors or coaches or teachers that brought you to the place you are that they didn't have. Love is patient. It it waits, and you might say, well, that kind of hurts to wait. Well, then you're on to something with patience. The word patience literally means to suffer. It can hurt to be patient and, and wait for me, especially if my stupidity costs you in some way. To sit by while God works in somebody's heart and mind and soul really slowly sometimes. I told you, why don't you get it? Love is patient. Top of the list. Lord Jesus, thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for being patient as we get used to your no matter what love for us. Thank you for suffering for us, for as much as it pains you to see how slow we are to really trust in you and love as you've loved us. Thank you for showing up here week after week after week patiently with nothing but grace and forgiveness and welcome and forgiveness again. Thank you for sticking with us 
and the promise never to give up on us, Jesus. Thank you for being patient. Thought we needed a little Jesus there. <laughs> Love? Love does not envy or boast. Never, and I told you so. It's not arrogant. Look at my coat. Or irritable. How come you never listen? Or resentful? That's a good test. The word translated resentful literally means counts up wrongs. Love does not count up wrongs. If part of our being smart and knowing stuff is keeping track of how ignorant and stupid everyone else is, we'd be better off being ignorant and stupid ourselves. How many times have I told you? How many times do we have to go through this? Love has no idea how many. Love stinks at math. Lord Jesus, you know all things, but thank you for choosing not to count, choosing not to know anything of our sins. Hey, Jesus, remember that time when I did X? No, I don't. How about that time when I went to Y? That was, oh, man, can't say that I do. Well, what about a time when I said Z? That was chief of sinners, category stuff, not for the life of me, not for the death of me, not for the resurrection of me. Do I remember any of that, says the one who has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west and remembers our iniquities no more. Lord Jesus, thank you for stinking at math. One more. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. This little bit from St. Louis, Louis, uh, C.S. Lewis talking about this one always nails me. Put yourself in this little story. Suppose one reads a story of filthy atrocities in the paper. Then suppose that something turns up suggesting that the story might not be quite true or not quite so bad as it was made out. Is one's first feeling, thank God, even they aren't quite so bad as that, that is to rejoice in the truth? Or is it a feeling of disappointment and even a determination to cling to the first story for the sheer pleasure of thinking your enemies are as bad as possible? (laughs) Think about that for a second. If it is the second, then it is, I'm afraid, the first step in a process which, if followed to the end, will make us into devils. You see, one is beginning to wish that black was a little blacker. If we give that wish its head, later on we shall wish to see gray as black, and then to see white itself as black. Finally, we shall insist on seeing everything, God and our friends and ourselves included, as bad, and not be able to stop doing it. We shall be fixed forever in a universe of pure hatred. Love rejoices in truth. When I find out my enemy is not nearly as bad as I thought he was, maybe even a lot like me, hallelujah. Thank God he's not such a jerk. More Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you for pulling for us. Thank you that all the saints and angels in heaven are pulling for us and praying for us instead of shaking your head at our wrongs. Thank you for rejoicing. Thank you for insisting that all heaven rejoice and throw a party whenever a single sinner turns from their sin and is embraced by your forgiveness. Love rejoices. Jesus rejoices in the truth.
Finishing up, love never ends. Fellow Joseph, Jesus' love for you never ends. That wisdom and insight, all the stuff that's really important for us to find, to make sure other people get and get it now, it's not unimportant. But it's also not for long. It's passing away, it's dying, just like you are and I am. Jesus' love for you is stronger than death. All that knowledge, too, when we get into this, even it is a partial all mixed up with all our biases and insecurities. All knowledge is that way, except Jesus' knowledge of you. He knows you fully and loves you completely. So for now, what's left then? <laughs> after, after all this is said and done, what, what remains now for us? Faith, hope, and love. Faith, faith, trust in a faithful God who loves even an obnoxious fill-in-the-blank like you and me. And hope, hope that he might actually, he might actually make and remake me and you into something a little better, a little more patient, a little worse at math, able to rejoice when black turns out only to be gray. And love. The love of God that while we were yet sinners, while we were impatient and too good at math and too happy when black got blacker, the love of Jesus, who while we were yet sinners, loved you to the cross and out of the tomb, Loves you with a love that is stronger than death, with a love that never fails. Faith, hope, and love remain. But the greatest of these, it's love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.